So now we come to the fifth part of this study we've been doing on on the Passion Week. Um, (laughs) The subject of the crucifixion, which is what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes, uh, what took place at the cross, there's been literally tens of thousands of books written about this uh, over 2,000 years. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you. I determined to preach nothing to you except the cross. All of the events we've been looking at this week have been leading inexorably up to this point uh, where Jesus uh, hangs on the cross. Um, And you know what we're going to touch here? I said yesterday that I feel like there's this growing menace, a growing darkness. Well, now the powers, the dark powers, it's like they come crashing in like a tsunami. You know, over the last several years, I have found myself spending a lot more time contemplating the cross, a lot more time. Um, with my travels overseas, uh, that we have some right where I live, I get to see some beautiful cathedrals, and I, I love the architecture. But when I'm there, inevitably I go and uh, I find myself just contemplating, looking at, and, and almost soaking up uh, what's happening in the in the the crucifix, the crucified Christ. Now, last year I was in Bogota, and we took a cable car, I had a team, and uh, we went up, I don't know, 11,000 feet or something, and there was another beautiful cathedral, and the team was going all over the place. But I, as I want to do, I drifted away a little bit from the team, and I suddenly found myself um, at this incredible pathway that was marked by the Stations of the Cross, which I'm used to seeing paintings of, but these were sculptures. And uh, this sculpture that I saw of Christ being crucified, the nails going in, it, it absolutely stopped me. I have no idea how long I was there. Today, as I try to briefly talk about all the aspects, or not all, but a few of the aspects of the crucifixion, don't forget that picture, because there's a reality that four-inch Roman square spikes were driven into what they had discovered were the most painful parts of the body, the wrists and in the uh, feet just near the ankles. Remember, this, is, this was something that he tangibly felt. So let me make a few points now. Psalm 22, a psalm written by David a thousand years earlier, is, is the prophetic description of of what took place at the cross. It's remarkable. It's like he saw across time. Let me read some of it for you. Again, this is Psalm 22. I'm going to start at verse 12. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. You hear the vivid description here? My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember, I thirst. 
You have laid me in the dust, left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is at least 600 years before crucifixion had had come into practice, and yet David saw it prophetically. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. There's a viciousness happening here at Golgotha that goes beyond natural forces. This is demonic. This is the powers that be. This is that conflict that began in the garden is now coming to its climax. And so we have those vivid descriptions that absolutely reflect what is going on. Now, I want to point out just a few things. Number one, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and in Matthew's account, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know, based on that verse, uh, for years, as I had opportunity to preach the gospel, uh, out into nations, sometimes to people who'd never heard of Jesus. But for years I taught that, that Jesus was filled with all of the sin of the world. And it was, it was such a terrible thing that the Father had to turn his face away. Well, I no longer believe this. For all kinds of reasons, and this isn't the place to go into all the theology of it, But let me say this, as we saw in the garden, Christ's divinity does not eliminate or override his humanity. At this moment, he entered fully into the human condition of feeling despair, of feeling abandoned, of feeling alone and alienated, just like David did when he wrote the psalm. But here's the key. In In that time, people, it was an oral tradition, and people knew the scriptures, frankly, better than the average person would know them now. And so, if I was to refer to a whole psalm, I wouldn't say it all. If I said to you, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, suddenly Psalm 23, for most of us, is running through our mind. Well, that's what was happening when Jesus said, verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But the key to understanding this is to follow through the whole psalm and see that, oh, it's a journey from feeling alienated, but to discovering I'm really not abandoned or alienated. Verse 24 of Psalm 22, for he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. Jesus entered the experience, but he knew the reality that the Father never turned his face. Jesus suffered on our behalf. He joined us in our suffering, not as a way around our suffering, but as fellowship with him in the midst of our suffering. It's him saying, I am with you always, just like the Father's always with the Son. He's not saying, you're going to get out of this, but rather, I'm with you as you walk through it. Next point I want to talk about is forgiveness. 
The cross is about revealing uh, the expression of who God really is. Jesus died in the company of some bad people, thieves on either side. I think it's very significant that he did not die alone. He died as he lived. He chose to live in the company of sinners. He was called friend of sinners, and he died that way too. So I think the cross gives me an example and us an example of how to to follow in the Jesus way, what's called incarnational Christian community. Do, Do we have, quote, bad people among us? Do we choose to be with them as Jesus did? The second aspect of forgiveness is his very first act on the cross was to preach forgiveness. He's hanging on the cross, remember the picture I showed you a few moments ago, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is incredible. You know, he he not only forgave them, he made excuses for them. Oh, Father, don't blame them. They didn't, they didn't know what they're doing. One of my favorite contemplative writers is uh, Henry Nouwen. And he said this, forgiveness is the well at the center of God's village. A third point I want to make, and of course there's almost limitless points about the cross and the crucifixion, but the third point is reconciliation. This reconciliation of of us with God was, was made evident at his death, and it was made evident, in case we missed it, when he dies, the veil or curtain in in the temple separating the holy of holies from the rest of the temple was supernaturally torn so it tells me that that there's no barrier anymore with true reconciliation something else that i can learn practically in my life with true reconciliation there are no barriers we don't just lower the barriers well i can get along with him in this and that but i don't know about that there are no barriers in true reconciliation did you know that co-suffering and radical forgiveness are the foundation of reconciliation? Paul talked a lot about reconciliation. That would be a topic all on its own. But let me just give you two verses. 2 Corinthians 5.19, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. There's nothing transactional there. Well, if you do this, I'll do that. He took the initiative. The second verse is Colossians 1.20. Through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. In my Bible, I've got everything underlined. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. To understand the power of God's reconciliation through the cross, we need to realize something. At the cross, God was recreating his creation. That's why Paul talks so much about a new Adam. The cross, besides my forgiveness, your forgiveness, besides that, it's the great cosmic event. It's God's great reclamation project. It's greater, if we can understand this mystery, it's greater than the original creation itself. It is the recreation of all things. That's why Paul keeps using the word everything and all 
as he describes this, this wonderful mystery of Christ. Therefore, what happened at the cross does exist in time. Uh, it's the dividing line of time, isn't it? We, we've got B.C. And, and, and A.D., but it is the eternal power of all things in the cosmos, the eternal restoration of all things. The crucified Christ now fills the universe. I want you to get this. This may sound a little mystical to you, but this is the wonder of the gospel, the mystery, the depth of the gospel, that the early church and the church fathers insisted that we go deeper and deeper. The crucified Christ now fills the universe with his cruciform love. I love that term. Brian Zond coined that phrase. He does not passively witness pain, suffering, abuse, oppression. Instead, because of the cross, he enters into the suffering of the world. He lives the sorrow for all and with all and for all time. The cross transcends time and space. It's not just an event that happened on Golgotha. It's an event that absolutely recreated, restructured, changed everything in all the cosmos because the the cross transcends time and space. And now the entire cosmos revolves around what, again, Brian Zahn called this axis of love. And this liberates us from a small personal piety gospel. Jesus went to the cross so I could go to heaven. It is so much bigger. One of my favorite authors, Father John Bear, puts it like this. And in fact, he quotes one of the church fathers, St. Gregory. When the Apostle Paul speaks of the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, St. Gregory sees him in those words as inscribing the figure of the cross into the very structure of the universe, created by the God revealed through the cross. The transcendent power of the eternal, timeless God manifest in the passion of Christ is the same power that upholds all creation, so that the cross is indeed the still, eternal, timeless axis around which the world rotates. What a wonderful quote. The last thing I want to briefly touch on is victory over death. Having been, uh, having freely forgiven us, uh, we're reconciled to the Father. He's dealt with sin, but now the curse of death itself must be eradicated. So Christ does for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. He dies to actually enter death and so overcome it. I'm going to talk a bit about that tomorrow. So at the heart of the crucifixion is the power and victory of love over evil, of self-giving over grasping, of trust over fear, because this is exactly what Jesus did at the cross. The cross is is the cruciform. It is God's arms open wide like the father in the parable of the prodigal son inviting us to come home. God bless you.